0: about in session number eight about Christianity in the days of Constantine, and there were a lot of changes going on so we're talking about church history we're following our trail of blood Um, i'll give you some uh, particulars in that we're going to be talking about christianity in asia and in europe and also how it was growing in north africa because africa became a real cradle for christianity and Asia spread from Palestine, they went into all of the world, they were taking the gospel into Asia Minor, Assyria, uh, and according to Pliny the Younger, under Trajan, the temples of the gods in Asia Minor were almost forsaken because Christianity grew and spread so much. Of course, we talked about how the apostles and those following the apostles took the gospel into Persia india parthia armenia arabia went into all of the world and up into rome into europe uh, asia all throughout uh, greece but then we also see how they came into north africa and christianity was a real stronghold in north africa the african christianity just really took foothold in egypt And they're probably, they're almost from the apostolic times, but we're going to be talking about this time, 300, 400s, right in that age. Right at the end of what we call the anti nicene Age, the age just before the Council of Nicaea. We'll talk about the Council of Nicaea, and then a little bit further on, because we do want to talk about a group that's known as the Donatists. We've talked about Montanists and Novationists, and from that we have another group that rises up, and they're called Donatists, and we're going to see why and where they came from. Something, of course, happens a little bit later, and maybe I shouldn't get quite into that yet, because we'll see how Christianity was crushed around uh, Europe and North Africa Alexandria was full of Jews Alexandria in, in North Africa and it was a literary and commercial center for the East and it really became the connecting from east to west and there were huge libraries there the Jewish mind had come close into contact with the Greek civilization And the religion of moses and the philosophy of plato and aristotle and understand how these two thoughts really changed good example is when a young man was trained in greece he was trained how to be a good citizen that would have been the most where when we look at hebrew literature psalms proverbs Proverbs written for the young man so that he would morally be a, a good man, that he would morally be a good father and, and, and a leader in the land. And so those were kind of the different uh, perspective. Now Eusebius names the first pastors in Alexandria to be uh, Anionos and that was in 62 AD through 85. Abilos. Cordon, I'm not sure I'm getting all these names quite right. And Curdon started in 110, uh, Adlios in uh, 98. And so we see that it gradually grew. The churches there grew. And as early as the 2nd century, the theological schools just flourished in Alexandria. And that's where Clement, we talked about Clement we talked about origin. They taught really as pioneers of biblically teaching and training these young men uh, in uh, the early establishment of Christianity. We find in Egypt also another idea starts, but not until the fourth century, and that is the monastic lifestyle, living in mona monasteries that didn't start early on because christianity was told to go into all of the world to make disciples but the theological literature that was established in egypt was chiefly in greek and many of the early manuscripts of the greek scriptures were kept there were held there and they were uh, from that we get our sinaitic and our vaticanus uh, greek manuscripts And those are critically important for our Bibles today. But those were written in Alexandria. And so already in the second centuries, the scriptures were translated into at least three different dialects. And what remains those versions help us today in understanding uh, the earliest Greek New Testaments. So the Christian Egyptians were largely mixed of native people that had come to Christ and they were bold and strong many of them later are swept up into Islam and the teachings of Islam but that's coming up a little bit later there is another church that is very very strong and very prolific the church at Rome really becomes probably in the western churches, one of the most prominent. And according to Eusebius, again, by the middle of the 3rd century, they had uh, one pastor, they had 46 assistant pastors, they had seven deacons, and they had all types of other positions within the church that would help the poor, that would help the widows. They had all types of people that were interested and in, in taking part and it's estimated that the number of members in that church was somewhere around 50 to 60,000 so it rivals the mega churches of today well of course we know that the Church of Jerusalem was a was a, a huge church but because of persecution they were sent everywhere and the strength of Christianity in the early days in Rome was, really confirmed because we know from so many of the different findings in the catacombs that Christians were uh, not only buried there but their stories were given to us how they, uh, they gave their lives for the cause of Christ well from Rome the church, the Lord's churches spread into Italy and into what was known as Gaul which is today France and parts of Germany and some of that but the persecution in the year 177 shows that the church was already planted throughout so much of Europe and Christianity really is being persecuted Spain probably uh, becomes acquainted with Christianity in the 2nd century and there are some people that believe that the Apostle Paul went up into Spain although we don't have any actual records of that but Clement of Rome said that he preached there that he took the gospel there to the limits of the west which may have been even into as far as Portugal so the idea is and Irenaeus speaks of the preaching of the gospel to the Germans Uh, and even though they had no paper and ink there to write those things down but It said that salvation was written in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we find Europe now being spread with the gospel. According to Tertullian, Britain was brought under the power of the gospel as well to the ends where the Celts began to follow Christ in England and Ireland and Scotland. And they were independent, of course, of Rome. And long before the uh, anglo-saxons later on they, there's uh, other ideas another man by the name of augustine not the one we're going to talk about as augustine of hippo but another man of augustine that went into england as a missionary led many others to christ uh, we find tremendous outreach the gospel's going everywhere so i want you to see how it's being spread in india today what's modern day iran and iraq armenia all throughout asia minor europe up into england and the uh, british isles all throughout northern africa that was the center for christianity by the end of the second century we talked about Montanists. we talked about novationist but i want to talk about the Donatists today because something so interesting about the Donatists, by the way, uh, let me get some of my notes here. The the pastor uh, of Carthage, Donatus, in 347, he is the rise of the uh, Donatist movement. And what happened was, there were so many that were standing up against the Laxness that was happening in the churches, that it was just going on where adultery wasn't being addressed, uh, divorce and remarriage wasn't being addressed, uh, stealing and and, uh, all types of uh, perjuries and, and those sorts of things were not coming under church discipline. And so Donatus stands up and he makes strong and bold movements toward that of what needed to be done now Augustine of Hippo really claims that these Donatists and he writes some horrible things and later on a little bit farther he is going to argue against the Donatist uh, as a movement as a whole and he argues against them well as you already know I'm not a fan of Augustine of Hippo and we're going to talk about more why that is. I want to show you how he came in. He was called a, herist, a heretic by the Novationists, uh, by the Donatists. They strongly opposed him. Well, Augustine says, however, that the Donatists were Anabaptists. That's interesting because he's one of the first to term, use that term Anabaptist, rebaptizers they did not accept some of the baptisms that were going on after all think about it they were baptizing in order to get salvation in order to give salvation and so I think he was very correct in saying that uh, the Donatists did not accept that they did not accept that baptism saves they did not accept infant baptism so we see that from early on they held to various aspects that the Lord's Churches still hold today. And Donatism was by far the, by far the most important, uh, and, and some historians call it a schism, we know that it was by a, a strong, strong group of Christians that held it happen. that, and I believe that that's where the Lord's true churches have come because they held to the truths of the Word of God they held that purity and holiness must be in the churches well at the beginning of that there was Diocletian brought huge persecution on them and they were just attacked and reviled and hated on every side and of course a lot of this came up because some had elected pastors that were not eligible for the position they elected pastors that should never have been uh, selected they did not meet the qualifications that Paul had laid down to Timothy and to Titus these men were unqualified Donatus stands up against it and he is marked as a troublemaker because <laughs> requiring them to hold to a biblical standard. Well, that's interesting because after his death in 315, there's a man by the name of Margarinus who is the su- successor. And he is a very gifted man, very fiery, eloquent, and has so many admirers, and they worked and they wondered about this man. But from that, they Donatist movement grows and then we have something very interesting that happens there is a man and I'm going to try to get his face up here by the name of Augustine Augustine begins to merge church and state he is uh, his father is an emperor, he is the Roman emperor he becomes the emperor over east and west because the Roman Empire has two sub-emperors one over the west one over the east and Augustine or excuse me Constantine begins to bring those in he is recognized as emperor of east and west and he moves the seat from Rome to Constantinople named for Constantine it became the name the city is still there known as Istanbul and it is uh, right there on the Black Sea. Well, he was born, uh, or he began to rule, let me just say that, in 306, and in 337 he continued his ruling. Uh, He had become the sole ruler by AD 324. He is called the first Roman emperor to convert to Christianity, although he... Constantine was a politician and he waits until his deathbed to be baptized because after all if baptism saves you then I want to wait until I'm about to die and then all my sins are washed away how false is that how crazy is that however that's exactly what he did and today the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox have painted him as a saint and a great man of God and he was only a politician it is interesting because you begin to discover uh, what terrible things Constantine really did and he brought about horrible uh, things within the churches because he began to merge church and state and whenever you have the state over the church He could begin then to assign uh, pastors in certain locations, in certain areas. And, of course, the Donatists stood against that. They stood and they said, no, we are separate. However, the Donatists very early on sent appeal to Constantine asking for relief from the persecution. And to some degree that is granted however they live to very much regret that very thing they live to regret uh, his uh, having any dealing with that and of course then later they separate they are no they will not come under the emperor and this is the beginning of why we have some churches that have begun changing their church government they began to change baptism they begin to change certain organisms within the church and that's why we trace these red dots down here to be those that followed after the biblical pattern from the apostles from the time of Christ when Jesus established his church to this very day well those are important concepts important for us to recognize it was constantine that was noted for having a tolerance christianity however he did not have a tolerance for the Donatists. he later on became uh, very very strong against them well in 324 325 and really after uh, it, it begins in 313 there's controversies and all these different things so that in 325 we have the first council of nicaea From that you get what's called the Apostles' Creed, or the Nicene Creed. It was Constantine that had a church built in Israel, the place where they believed that Jesus had been buried in the tomb. So the Church of the Holy Sepulchre was established by Constantine. And some of that was because his mother, and remember these were pagans, she had a dream, and she... Told her son that this was the place where uh, Jesus had been buried. And so, even though many other things come into play with that, that's why the Church of the Holy Sepulchre was established. Well, the uh, Edict of Melanian, which declared, and that was in 313, that declared the tolerance for Christianity in the Roman Empire. And in 325, the first council of Nicaea, which laid down certain doctrinal positions. Many claim that it was at that time that the Sabbath was changed from Saturday to Sunday, and that's just not true. It is true that that council did come up with laws and said that now Sunday is the Sabbath, However, New Testament churches had been worshiping on the first day of the week, Sunday, uh, since the resurrection of Christ. So even though a man, a pagan emperor, comes on the scene and decides that he is going to make this uh, a law, it doesn't affect the New Testament churches. They continue to meet on the same day. Well, interesting because and all of those aspects Constantine merging church and state becomes one of the worst things for the Lord's churches and we're going to pick up in section 9 talk about that we're going to see how horrible that was and later on it happens again in the Reformation anytime you have merging of church and state you have problems And and it just should never be the scripture Jesus said like "Just uh, render unto Caesar those things that are Caesar and unto God those things which are God's when you begin to merge church and state and initially we see that the emperor is over the church that he's in charge and he's going to run the church the way he feels fit and Constantine was a very uh, wise emperor in the way that he uh, divided the Roman legions so that they could handle various aspects and, and put down revolts and things like that, and he t- tries to do the same thing in the churches. And of course, many of those churches, wanting freedom from persecution, they go right along. Oh yes, and he appointed pastors, and then later begins to appoint pastors over those pastors and begin to call them bishops, and. Uh, the whole hierarchy has changed where he's the head of the church we don't find a pope until 606 and then that's when the whole aspect changes once again where now you begin to have the church over the state So, but at this point we have state over the church and the state running the church always a bad idea I'm going to close out with that we'll pick up and we'll talk more about Augustine of Hippo because he uh, is very strongly opposed to the Donatist, and they very strongly oppose him, and there are some debates that go on. I want to pick up with that as we look at section 9 on church history, the trail of blood. And let me tell you, it is quite a trail of blood that our forefathers did not regret or hold back one moment from giving their lives for the cause of Christ. I hope this is a blessing. Lord bless you. We'll see you soon. Take care.